great. So welcome to the Search Group Summer 2023 Q&A webinar. Is it summer? Is it officially summer? I think so. It's summer um, We passed uh, one of those holidays that mark summer. Memorial right? Day. Right? Memorial Day. There yeah. we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can ask us questions about SIRS. Do not ask us questions about seasons. We do not know. Um, <laughs> but Unless uh, it's color seasons and we might know more about that. <laughs> we're both a little obsessed right now. Um, but just a little bit about who we are. Barbara, do you want to give your intro? Sure. Um, so I'm Barbara. Uh, I was diagnosed with SIRS in April of 2022. So uh, it's been about a year of knowing about all this fun stuff and working through the treatment protocol. I started treatment in July of last year, 2022. Um, I am currently, I did actually technically go completely through the protocol um, to the end to VIP, but unfortunately that was done prematurely uh, as I had not cleared Marcons. And we can get into any of this if you have questions about that. But um, turns out I still have quite a bit of Marcons. In fact, uh, about eight months of EDTA spray apparently did very little to get rid of my Marcons. I do suspect um, some re-inoculation from my dog, whom I love, and she is worth it. But I think that is possibly one of the reasons why I'm still struggling with Marcons. And yes, that's a thing. Um, so I am kind of going backwards now. Um, I just passed, repassed the VCS test on binders. Uh, so I am, I dropped down on a maintenance dose of the binders now um, and will, and I'm, I just started treating my Marcons again with different stuff this time. So that's where I'm at in the SIRS protocol. JC? And I'm JC. I've been carnivore for three years. Midway through my carnivore journey, I got super sick. I started to lose mobility, had chronic eye inflammation and GI issues. And uh, after six months of just being in pain all of the time and having a rheumatologist that was just like, this might be your new normal. Um, I had the very, very good blessing of Nutrition with Judy, Judy Cho, uh, reaching out to me and telling me like, hey, I think you might have SIRS. Um, so that's what started my SIRS journey. I started treatment in June of 2022, so just over a year now. And um, right now I am on VIP spray, kind of. My provider is no longer seeing out-of-state patients, and so I had to switch providers. So I'm going to go through some retesting, just get a new baseline, and then continue the protocol from there. But from all accounts, I think I'm like four to six months away from being completely done with the Shoemaker protocol. I have no pain. I have my brain back. I feel great all the time. I feel a little bit guilty telling people who I know are chronically ill that I feel amazing, but I need you to know that there is light at the end of this tunnel, they're like this treatment works, this protocol works. Um, so thank you for joining us for the webinar today. I'm really excited to answer any of questions you might have. Beautiful. All right. So if you're interested in learning more about what we do, we run the SIRSgroup.com. It's an online community of people who are dealing with SIRS. It's supportive. It's a forum type platform. So you post questions, people reply. There's also a group chat. We do monthly group calls. We also offer a offer coaching and various resources within the group. All right, so let's jump into the Q&A. I would love to take the first question because mm. it's totally up my alley. So Dorothy asks, uh, she's getting results back. It appears she has gut dysbiosis. Her next appointment is August 1st. Should she try some gut supplements or wait for my appointment or her appointment? Um. So we did, uh, we just did a podcast episode a little bit about this. Um, here's the thing with gut issues and SIRS. Um, when you have all of the SIRS, which you would, uh, and by that, I mean, you haven't started treatment. So you're at like the worst you'll be in the sense of um, symptoms and, and uh, all of the inflammation that's happening in your body. It can be a little bit pointless to try to heal your gut in this moment. That said, if there are things like supplements that can help you feel better, for example, a lot of people with SIRS, part of their gut issues is uh, maybe low stomach acid, for example. So they're not the, the beginning of their digestive process and their stomach is not starting off on the right foot. Um, you may want to take digestive enzymes or ox bile or, or um, you know, one of those, uh, uh, betaine HCL, something like that to help the digestive process along. And maybe that will help you feel better. 
there's no rule against doing things to make you feel better. Um, I guess my point in what how I'm saying this is don't look to be able to heal your gut truly until you clear SIRS first. Um, so that would be that would be that caveat to all of that. JC, do you it, it's a very nuanced thing, so please um chime in if I miss something. Yeah, I think it's kind of two parts. One is anything you can do to start feeling better, I'm supportive of. So if you find like taking digestive enzymes, something like that helps you process food better and that makes you feel better, I am for that. But don't expect to fully heal your gut until you're on the binders because the binders help with removing the biotoxins, which are keeping your MSH low, MSH being melanocyte stimulating hormone, the thing that regulates the tight junctions in your gut. Until you do that step, you may not achieve gut healing. However, gut supplementation in the sense of I am taking these to make things easier for myself in the meantime, that I think is worth it. So it, it is nuanced in that way. It's like um, you should do whatever you can to feel better now, because if you feel good through treatment, it's just going to make treatment that much easier. I want to add also the binders for me did not help me feel better GI wise. And I continue to have GI problems to this day. The reason is most likely um, I still have Marcons and the fact that I have Marcons keeps my MSH ridiculously low. And that's what's affecting the whole gut. Um, what you just said, JC, so well, um, the, the uh, friggin. Apparently I still have serious brain, but it's not helping my gut in this, this, uh, spot that I'm in. So, uh, I do, I am treating Marcons so that my MSH can raise so that my gut healing can actually happen. So there's, there's a few steps to it. Um, so if you're not feeling better with just the binders, don't lose hope. There are more steps to come that will actually help your body repair itself in that way. All to say the protocol is set up in the order it is so that things are most efficient for you. Um, but the next question here is, can you talk about your experiences finding SERS-friendly housing, air purifier recommendations? So for me, um, I was living in Florida and my house came back with a really high Hertz Me score. Hertz Me is the, the environmental mold testing you can do to check the mold levels in your home. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to try treatment anyways, see how things go. And I did feel some initial improvement just taking the binders, even though I was in that moldy environment. And then I left Florida to dog sit in Denver and I felt infinitely better here. And so I just kind of left everything behind in Florida, decided to finish treatment in Denver and then kind of figure out what to do next. So I think, um, Finding SERS-friendly housing is going to be kind of a different journey for everyone. Um, if you have the ability to, like, if you could rent a room from someone, kind of like I'm doing, um, and you can test out that environment first, that's awesome. If not, you can get the Hertz Me test from Envirobiomics. So when you're checking out a place you might be renting or looking at purchasing, just test it to make sure it's going to be a good environment for you. That way you're not like putting all your eggs in one basket and then end up having to do a $40,000 remediation. And air purifier recommendations, Air Oasis is the gold standard. So definitely check them out. We have some discount codes in the group. I know SIRS Lab has a discount code. Yep. Uh, did you get rid of all your belongings to prevent exposure? JC has an interesting story on this one. Yeah, so I left Florida to dog sit. So I came here with uh, carry on. And um, I have left everything else behind in Florida. And it's not that I think I'll never get that stuff back. It's just not worth it to me right now to try like to get it and risk exposure. Um, the other thing I, I think is relevant to this is I really like thrifting. I like secondhand shopping. And I have noticed that thrift stores tend to kind of spike me in terms of biotoxin exposure. Um, so I do think that your belongings can be a risk point. Um, there are some really cool tools you can leverage, like the Genie. It's a uh, testing to see what you might be responding to in terms of biotoxins. So you could kind of see if it's actinos would be the big one for what is on your belongings. And then you can always do small particle cleaning. Um, what we've seen several people in the group do is they'll like just pack everything away except for the bare essentials. And then one by one, they'll like bring boxes of stuff back into their home as they're able to do the small particle cleaning. So it's not so overwhelming. It's not like you have to clean your whole house. You can kind of put everything away and then as you can bring things back in yeah and i i would say from my experience um 
before I even knew I had SIRS, I moved to a different state. I went from California to Nevada, which is drier. Um, and I did feel better and I didn't know why at the time. Now I do, but, um, I was not careful. Um, I, I should also say that depending on how sick you are, we have some people who are literally living in a camper in their yard because they can't go into their home in our group. Um, so that, that happens. So if you are that sensitive and in that much pain, you'll want to do some more extreme measures to keep everything clean, to clean your things or to get rid of stuff that you can't clean. And that can suck. Um, for me, I didn't know I had SIRS when I moved. I moved like a normal person in boxes and bins and all kinds of stuff. And I unpacked when I got here. Um, and I haven't had that much of an issue. Obviously, I'm still dealing with the Marcons thing. And I may have to relook at my uh, environment if this is hard to kick. That said, I do really well in the binders and I've been able to pass the VCS test um, when I'm on them. So uh, th there's there's a lot of everyone's different, I guess, is uh, is that um, is the point that I'm trying to make. And you may want to go a lighter route, almost like I did to like, see if you get better. And then if you're, if you don't then do more of a drastic thing that said that's time lost. And that could be money lost if you're working through the protocol and you're not getting better. So it's a really individual up to you, uh, on your own risk to benefit analysis that you have to do for yourself. Let's see. Do you, um, how do you know if you have Marcons? Are the symptoms obvious? Um, so there's a test that you can do. It's uh, I actually, there's a reel on the SIRS group Instagram where you get to see me stick a giant Q-tip up my nose. Um, that is what the test is. And you can do it yourself. You can order it. Um, I ordered it through nutritionwithjudy.com. Um, we'll, in the replay, we'll put a link uh, to the resources uh, there for you. But it's, just you order the test, it shows up at your house, you do it, you put it back in the bag, you send it back, that's it, the test. And that's how you that's the only way to actually know if you have Marcons and if you've cleared Marcons. Um, the symptoms can be lots of things. Uh, for me, the main thing is the fact that my MSH is so low and has been the entire time I've been on this protocol. Um, and I still have GI issues. To me, those are my symptoms and how I knew to look at Marcon's again when I wasn't getting better. Um, for other people, it just might be chronic sinus infections, stuffy nose. Um, JC, am I missing anything? Like just nose stuff. Yeah, so like sinus issues, but a lot of people um, would present as asymptomatic. So for example, um, Marcon's causes me to have low MSH, but unless you blood test for that, you're not going to see it. So if you asked me, do you think you have Marcon's? I would tell you no, because I don't have any sinus issues and I never have, but I did have Marcon's and I did the treatment and I maybe cleared Marcon's. Um, I need to retest now. Um, but yeah, it can be asymptomatic. So no, it's not, it's not apparent necessarily that you have Marcon's. It's why we do have to test for it. Uh, if we detox too hard too early, will it cause symptoms to intensify brain fog, bad dizziness, fatigue, or is this only from an exposure? I'm three weeks into well call every day. I take well call three times, cell core, ultra binder, coffee enema, and one of the following sauna or bentonite clay Epsom salt bath. I'm trying to figure out why I'm so, so, so symptomatic while when I've gotten my car detailed and ozone and have moved into a brand new apartment building three years old. Okay. So this, um, I'm going to answer in two parts. One, um, when you try and detox, when you have SIRS, it can cause a lot of, uh, bad reactions. Essentially what is happening is SIRS has broken your detox ability. And so if you try and detox like through traditional binders, like clay, charcoal, that sort of stuff, it's like trying to ride a bicycle with a broken wheel. It's not going to be comfortable. Um, the other thing is, sorry, three parts. I'm going to answer this in three parts. Uh, second part is well call itself. Um, a lot of people experience brain fog, mood swings. Uh, I was like narcoleptically sleepy when I first started well call. So that's a normal um, side effect of that. And then the third thing I will say is, yes, it could be a sign of exposure. Even if you have had your car detailed and your apartment is young, that doesn't mean they don't have biotoxins. I would do a hurts me test um, just to see. So maybe if this were me, what I would do is, first of all, I would pull back 
on all of the different protocols I'm doing and just like really concentrate on the binders and feeling my best. And then if I still wasn't feeling like I was moving forward and feeling better at that point, I would recheck my environment to make sure I wasn't being exposed. Yeah. Some people do like the ripping the bandaid off method, which is just go straight into the, all of the things. Um, and some people can tolerate it, but some people can't. And so definitely adjust as, and talk to your practitioner about it as well. Um, I will also give my experience that I did a cell core thing, um, at the same time of taking the binders and I was in so much excruciating pain. Like it, it, I mean, it, it really hurt me and I immediately stopped everything except well call. Cause that's what I was, the binder I was on at the time and I was perfectly fine. So the, it was actually the combination of the other binders and well call that totally screwed me up. So that was, that's my anecdotal story. So I would be wary of that combination. I certainly would never do that again, personally. Uh, sorry for the poopy question, but have you tried coffee enemas to help detox? I personally have not. A lot of people in our group really like them. They say it's the biggest lever to help with their pain and especially people who experience migraines. It seems like benefit from the the coffee enemas. I've heard that it helps. Um, so we talked about MSH, melanocyte stimulating hormone, regulating the tight junctions of the gut. Something about the caffeine and it being an enema helps regulate those tight junctions, which then helps with all the downstream effects like migraines. I have never done an enema. I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> I, may, I still have GI issues. Maybe there's something there. I don't know about that. I, I mean, I don't, I'd have to be in a yeah situation. We'll see if that ever happens. I'll let you guys know if I ever try an enema. <laughs> I was waiting for Barbara to say, we'll report back with more details. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah says, what's the difference between Hertzme and Ermi testing? So Hertzme and Ermi are both environmental testing. They test for the mold in your environment. Hertzme is, it's technically the Hertzme too, um, but it's more targeted for the mold strains that specifically impact people with SIRS. So the testing that most of the providers are currently recommending, if you go to Envirobiomics, it's the number seven. Sounds like a cocktail, but it's not, um, but it's the hurts me too, actinos and endotoxins. And so it's just more targeted. It really tests the environments for the things that you are probably most sensitive to. Whereas ERMI is more of a general like mold uh, prevalence testing. Yeah. And they are scored differently. Uh, so just take a look at them when, if you were to get both, I got both when I got my house tested and to two totally different scores. Um, and if I had just gotten the ERMI, I would have been very nervous about the mold levels in my house. Um, but because I also got the Hurts Me Too, I saw that the bad molds, the extra bad molds were actually quite low. Um, so that ended up being really good that I got both. Um, and I think the Hurts Me Too is certainly sufficient in most cases, and it is cheaper than the ERMI. Uh, Dorothy says legacybox.com copies old photos. So if you are someone who's concerned that your uh, belongings are exposing you, some things are worth particle cleaning, right? And some things are not going to be worth small particle cleaning. Like, uh, for example, books, you have to vacuum each page. If I had a first edition Winnie the Pooh, I would small particle clean that. But if I had a copy of like the subtle art of not giving a, an F, like I would probably just repurchase that. Um, so it is a little bit about prioritization, like we were saying earlier. But yeah. that's a really cool option so you don't lose those photo photographs that are like probably very sentimental to you. Right. Um, would you would ever, you, sorry, go oh, ahead. Oh, that's a, uh, would you ever recommend EC3 fogging after remediation? I recommend you deal with an indoor environmental professional who is familiar with SIRS, who knows what all the medical stuff, like if, if that person is literate in chronic inflammatory response syndrome, um, and they are an expert in your home, uh, one such person who Judy Cho has interviewed on nutrition with Judy is Michael Schrantz. Um, you want someone of that nature to be telling you what you need to do in your specific situation, because everybody's environment is different and you do need some expertise helping you navigate that. That's That would be my very non-answer answer to that question. JC, do you have anything to add? 
Yeah, fogging is really interesting because it is part of a robust remediation protocol. The problem with just fogging, like if it's not part of a remediation protocol with an indoor environmental specialist, is that fogging breaks up the uh, the actual mold. So it makes it smaller and harder to remove. So the whole thing with biotoxins is it's not just the live mold, but it's the dead mold too that's impacting us. So if you fog and you don't you don't have the steps ahead of that to remove the bulk of the mold and you don't have the steps after that to remove the particles of mold and you just fog, it's actually really terrible. But if you have fogging as a part of a whole protocol of remediation, then it makes a lot of sense. Um, so it's it's kind of a it's a health harm analysis in terms of where you're at in your remediation protocol. Um, but definitely working with an IEP, they'll be able to best advise you when that step specifically is going to be appropriate for you. Right. Ooh, a dental question. Um, Dorothy says she went to a dentist for a cone beam study and found out a root canal is failing. Uh, she's having it removed in two weeks. She also has bone loss and infection and needs deep cleaning with lasers. Have you experienced or knowledge on connection with dental health and SIRS? Oh, yes. Yes, uh, it is connected. Um, I actually am not even, so there, we have somebody in the group, uh, Christian, we'll give him a shout out, uh, Sirs Lab uh, on Instagram. He is very much researching this situation because I, I think he has a similar situation. I don't want to talk for him, but um, there is possibly a connection with all of that. There could be, I think it's usually staff, so dental work and and Marcons are very much connected. I have had dental work and I'm struggling with Marcons. So in that sense, I feel you on all of that. I have never had a root canal. However, um, my dental work has been wisdom teeth pulled, a baby tooth pulled and an implant. Um, and I did have the implant first fail and get infected uh, when I first tried. And what should have been a six months to a year process turned into a three-year process because of how many complications that occurred. And this was all before I knew about SIRS, mind you, like right before. So um, yes, there is a connection there and you uh, will want to work with the SIRS practitioner that's familiar with that. Um, to give a shout out, I think Dr. Dorninger in Colorado is... Um, maybe more versed in this particular uh, connection and situation that you're dealing with than other practitioners, not to say others don't know. Um, so your practitioner may know as well, but I would definitely look into that connection when you're going through treatment. How do you find your haplotypes? Is that the Shoemaker Rosetta Stone? So the haplotypes you get tested for, it's part of the blood work that you do uh, to get diagnosed with SIRS. And it comes back and it'll say like, HLA DRB1.03 and you're like this is does this make zero sense to me um your practitioner should interpret them for you and those haplotypes will tell you which biotoxins you may be sensitive to there's six main ones like mold lime multisusceptibility chronic fatigue etc um, but if you have the blood work and you don't, you're not currently working with a practitioner and you want to figure out which haplotypes you have on your own, there is a calculator on myhousemakesmesick.com. We'll leave the link for that in the description box. Um, Natalie asks, her appointment's months away. She wants to use natural binders in the meantime. Is there any way to estimate oxalate content in okra beet supplement? I'm not versed in that. I'm not familiar with that. Um, if I were you, I would probably Google like oxalate content in okra and then try and find like a per gram weight of oxalate in okra or beet. And then from there, be like, okay, how many grams of binder am I taking? But even then, I'm not sure that that would be very helpful because we're also bio-individual. It's not like there's this specific threshold that like no one can ever cross this amount of oxalate. Um, I think it's going to be more of a, you try it and see what works. And it's, it's like, it's not that binary, right? Cause you could just be like, okay, well, I'm going to take less binder. So unfortunately I think there's some self-experimentation needed there, but you can work with, uh, like nutrition with Judy or another, uh, uh, what are they called? Proficiency, Proficiency. partner. Yeah, to see if they have recommendations for like starting dosages. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was when you started going into like math and weighing and calculations, I'm thinking Sir's brain and what would I have done? I'm just going to try it. <laughs> I would just start taking it and see what happens. Um, but that's we're not telling you to do that, but that's something <laughs> that you can consider. <laughs> um, uh, go ahead. A CSM or will call the only thing to move the needle for every person. I'm intimidated by the prescription binders. So this is interesting. This person took Cellcor, which is the like more generic binders, and they had a bad reaction. So the interesting thing with SIRS is, again, it's like your detox systems are broken. And so if you take generic binders, people often feel worse on them than they do just normally or than they do on the biotoxin binders. When you start taking the right binders, there may be side effects. Uh, for us, we both had fatigue. For a lot of people, they'll have constipation, which is why uh, we do a, recommend a lot of magnesium supplementation. But you'll probably feel better on the prescription binders than you do on the generic binders. So um, maybe just uh, work on some limbic retraining on your thinking around that so you don't have an errant reaction to those prescription binders. Like the thought of having a reaction may give you a reaction. Uh, if I can just say this to you to give you confidence, like the biotoxin binders made me feel like the my best. Like I'm, they're my favorite thing. They healed me. Um, so great. It took a little bit to get used to them. I did feel very sleepy at first, but uh, they healed me, and they'll heal you too. Yeah, I I know that we are in the natural holistic health space with keto and carnivore and like we we've done all the natural things right like we've already done it we've been doing it for years probably trying to feel better there are some things that science has produced and medical innovation has created that work for what our bodies need um not all pharma is bad there are certain things that we just we do need conventional medicine for um to fix what's going on. Um, so as much as we want to be natural and we want, and th I think that's kind of like, that is an obstacle for a lot of us in this space because we don't want to rely on prescription medication to heal. But in this particular situation, it just works and it works really well for, for people um, to get this stuff out of their system. And like JC, it was my favorite part about six weeks into the binders, I was feeling so much better on the energy level, brain fog, concentration, word finding, all that stuff was like, I was like a new person. So highly recommend. <laughs> Sarah wants to know how to manage anxiety around exposures, et cetera. Uh, so I think limbic retraining is going to be a really great lever for you. People who are chronically ill, like we are just exposed to so much uh, discomfort all of the time that we can start being triggered by things that don't necessarily cause discomfort, but we may have been exposed to while we felt uncomfortable and therefore our body thinks that is a trigger to discomfort. Um, so limbic retraining is rewiring all those neural pathways so you don't have these errant experiences where you're having symptoms to things that aren't actually triggers. And I think just uh, focusing on that, and I know this is, it's like, for me, limbic retraining was focusing on feeling joyful every day. I literally had a timer set on my phone. So every hour I would ask myself like vibe check, like, how are you feeling? How could you feel better in this exact moment? And it seems so simple and like so silly and so like, it's not going to move the needle, but I am a different person now. <laughs> I don't have anxiety around things. And I feel a lot more like the more I go through my service journey, the more I realize like everything is figure outable. Like I'm going to have setbacks and it's going to be fine. I'm still moving forward every day. Every decision I make is a decision towards better health. And so in that way, there are no wrong decisions. Either I win or I learn. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Okay. Um, would you recommend a parasite cleanse? Um. This is another thing, uh, kind of going back to the gut issues um, that we talked about earlier. I wouldn't bother until I'm through with SIRS because, again, SIRS is causing all kinds of havoc inside your system. And if you have GI issues, that's where it is. That allowed the parasite to come in and make its home. Uh, so I would, I would definitely focus fully on the healing through SIRS part. And once you get through the protocol, if you have anything that's lingering, 
that's when you can go and, and start to do these other things. For example, I was diagnosed with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. If I still have symptoms that show, or I may even test for it, um, when I'm through with the protocol, if I still have that, then I may go and do the conventional or the herbal holistic uh, treatments for SIBO after SIRS is cleared. I'm not going to do it right now, though, while I'm in the middle of treatment. My MSH is low. Um, all of my gut issues are are still there. So that that would be that's my experience with that stuff. So with the Shoemaker protocol, there's 12 steps. It's in four different phases. And phase three contains a step called detox, which is very generic word for this is where your provider will recommend different detox protocols. Your provider may recommend a parasite cleanse as part of that detox step before you get to VIP in conjunction with some other things you're doing. They re may recommend, uh, like Barbara said, that you completely finish the surge protocol and then deal with any residual issues after that. But definitely I would bring this up with your, your practitioner and they'll be able to advise you best based on your blood work and your symptoms and how you're doing with treatment. Um, I think it could go either way. You could either do it during the protocol and have it be like a lever towards greater healing through the protocol, or it may be something you deal with after the fact. Um, can mosquito bites affect SIRS? I had a weird reaction to one a couple of years ago that preceded months of symptoms. So interestingly, with SIRS, we have the haplotypes that tell us what our biotoxins are. And those biotoxins are things like mold and Lyme and spider bites and vaccines, but to turn those genes on, many of us have a triggering event. And so that could be either a physical or emotional or mental trauma that occurs that then allows us to like kind of go over that tipping point into having SIRS. So if this mosquito bite had like Zika virus or something like that, that could totally have been a trigger for then actually developing SIRS. And when I say trigger point, I mean, we were born with the haplotypes that we have, but up until you get sick, you weren't sick, right? So for most of us, that would be some portion of our childhood at the very least. Um, but then once you hit that triggering event, that's when things hit that tipping point and then you develop SIRS. Um, let's see. How were you impacted metabolically from SIRS? I personally feel terrible when I fast and heavily rely on carbs. This information is priceless. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Um, JC, you have, I know you have a fantastic response to this, right? Yes. Just to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, like I find the um, metabolic impact of SIRS endlessly fascinating. There's a lot of pieces there. Um, so MSH, low MSH is one of the things, it's a hallmark symptom of SIRS. So essentially what happens is when you have biotoxin exposure, your body releases an innate immune response. And what that means is it's inflammatory cytokines, but it never passes off to like antibodies that would actually remove the biotoxin. So you end up with these cytokines that are just circulating in your body and they end up attaching themselves to leptin receptors in the pituitary gland. We're getting in it, guys. Um, but what that does is it makes you leptin resistant. So that is one impact that you're going to experience from SIRS is most people who have SIRS have leptin resistance. So we don't understand our satiety as well as we did before we had SIRS. Another thing that you may experience is that SIRS makes it really hard to run gluconeogenesis. Your body just starts preferring preferring carbs uh, for quick, easy energy. Um, and your liver isn't able to support that on a carnivore diet. So what a lot of people find is they do feel better if they supplement a small amount of carbs. Um, I know that I felt better eating about 20 grams of carbs a day through my surge treatment. Um, that said, like now that I'm kind of on the tail end of this, I feel better not eating carbs again. And that is one of those things where I know you guys are going to hate it. It's bio-individual. You're going to have to try it out and see if it works for you. But if you are going to supplement carbs, I really recommend uh, choosing low amylose carbs. Um, so for me, berries was really easy because I could just keep a bunch in my freezer and pull out 20 grams a day. I will say also that I, I haven't seen people do well with fasting and SIRS. Mm. It's a, that's a, seems to be a not so great combination for people. I don't think you're hurting yourself. I don't think it's like, oh, it's so detrimental or anything crazy, but I just don't th like, just, it's not going to feel good again, because your body's trying to do so much and, and fasting is a stressor. Your body's plenty stressed when you have SIRS, like you're already 
through all of, you know, putting yourself through all of that stuff uh, uh, and then fasting on top of it is just going to, it's just going to be rough. You just triggered a memory for me. I used to do carnivore coaching um, and I would very often get clients that were coming from fasting groups and they would show me their blood work and their thyroid function would tank. They would have like blood work from before they did the fasting and after and their thyroid function would tank. And thinking about the people that I worked with, like I've I've now reached out to anyone I did carnivore coaching for and I'm like, hey, not sure if you've heard about this, but there's this thing called SIRS. Like if you're doing carnivore, you should be able to eat the meat you like, can afford it, makes you feel your best and feel good. If you need coaching beyond that, very likely there's an underlying issue is now what I have come to believe. Um, But just thinking about it now, I'm definitely going to look into fasting, thyroid function and SIRS. So thank Mm -hmm. you for the rabbit hole, everyone. Thank you. (laughs) JC looks for those wherever she can. And so, and appreciates this very much. Um, (laughs) Uh, well, what alternative therapies do you do or recommend for people to feel better while getting treatment? Well, we did an ep- a podcast episode about this. Um, I know for me, I'll tell you what I've done. Um, tanning, preferably in the sun, but if you can't, tanning beds have been uh, really nice for me. Uh, to feel better. I don't know that they're actually helping my MSH raise. I don't know that my body can do that in this moment while I still have Marcons and everything else floating around, but I do feel better. I really enjoy it. So that's good. Sauna also has really helped me. Um, Not everybody likes the sauna and some people, again, it can be that too much detoxing actually makes you feel like crap kind of thing. I sweat really easily as it is just going through life, I'm a sweater. Uh, And so when I do the sauna, it just kind of helps me do more of that. And so I I do tend to feel better with that as well. Um, Yeah. JC, if you're not you a tried? sweater like me, I definitely prefer hot baths because it helps me experience the same thing as a sauna with a lot less discomfort. But I would say like anything that you can think of in the traditional realm of like biohacking, all of those things are targeting reducing inflammation. And I am biased towards doing the biohacks that feel good. I think sometimes when we think of biohacking, we think of like cold therapy and extreme fasting and like these extreme things that are both good and stressful for your body. (laughs) I would call them awful, but that's just me. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) And stressful for your body. For me, I really like the biohacks that are much more on the like pleasant side where it's like, it's helping reduce my inflammation, but it also feels good. So for me, that's spending time in the sunshine. I would say is my number one, like favorite biohacky thing that makes me feel better, raises MSH. I get to lay in a sunbeam. That is much more my speed when it comes to biohacking. Yes, 100%. Um, Someone has high IgG allergens according to a blood test. What is this? Okay, so we talked about the biotoxins triggering the innate immune response. It's the inflammatory cytokines. What doesn't happen with SIRS, the part that makes us genetically predisposed to being really bad at eliminating biotoxins is that it doesn't hand off to the adoptive immune system. The adoptive immune system is uh, the antibodies that would actually remove those biotoxins. So IgG allergens are the presence of those antibodies. So if you have those antibodies, those are the things you are eliminating. So um, it's kind of irrelevant in the conversation of SIRS, um, because it's not actually the biotoxins that you're not able to eliminate. Um, The other part of that is allergens. So we know that with SIRS, a lot of people develop histamine or MCAS um, sort of reactions to thing over time because your body is just so triggered by the biotoxins constantly. So I know that some practitioners have people run these tests just to give you awareness of things you should be careful about. Obviously, we're trying to trigger your body as little as possible. So the less we can expose you to allergens, the better. Um, But it's not uh, a technical part of the Shoemaker protocol. Uh, What symptoms can improve after using cholestyramine? Oh, goodness. Uh, Lots of things. Um, It it is bio-individual, first of all. But uh, some things that seem to clear up for a lot of people is the brain fog, they have more energy, it's less fatigue, um, better concentration and word finding, uh, less joint pain. Um, Those all happen to me. JC, what are yours? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) um, there's 37 symptoms associated with SIRS and cholestyramine can positively impact all 37 plus whatever 
like extracurricular <laughs> symptoms you're getting like GI issues, joint pain, stuff like that. Um, so the binders really are your biggest lever towards feeling better. Um, definitely that's, that's the big step of the shoemaker protocol. That's really going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. And then following that, probably I would say VIP. Uh, do you think SIRS slash mold toxicity can trigger autoimmune conditions? Uh, yes. Can I answer just like that? <laughs> yeah. Do I have to elaborate? So there's this really cool test called the genie and it shows you the different genes that are lit up or turned on. And they do the genie when you first are diagnosed with SIRS and they do the genie after. And the really cool thing about VIP spray is it turns off a lot of those genes that were errantly turned on by the chronic inflammation. So SIRS can trigger autoimmune conditions and SIRS treatment can turn them off. Generally speaking, and I feel pretty safe saying this, if you have an autoimmune condition, you should look at SIRS. Just look at it. Doesn't mean that you have it necessarily, but man, if that's what's causing it, if that's your root cause and you could potentially heal or put into remission your autoimmune condition by treating SIRS, like, holy shit, that's, that's how I feel about that. Um, we have some comments, a few people saying, that explains why fasting doesn't feel good for me. Yes. I, I, and I've never liked fasting. So to me, that's my excuse now to not do it. Um, <laughs> oh, but we have somebody who's saying fasting is the one, the only thing that seems to make him feel better. Um, so it helps with inflammation quite a bit, but not beyond 30 hours. I mean, JC, I think you experienced something very similar because you, you, some of your symptoms, as much as it would suck and you wouldn't feel great fasting, it would also like improve certain symptoms, right? Not yes. So it's this convoluted thing of like, uh, first of all, intermittent fasting is really powerful for spike protein damage. So anyone who's dealing with like long haul COVID type injury things, intermittent fasting is super helpful for that. It's really hard for people with SIRS, but it is also beneficial. Um, for me, when I was at my very worst with my autoimmune symptoms and I was in so much pain, the only thing that would help me, like not meds, not carnivoring harder, the only thing that would help me would be like doing a 24-hour fast. And it sucked. Every minute of it sucked. It's I have fasted before I had SIRS and it was relatively easy. Like I never thought fasting was difficult, but fasting with SIRS is just a whole other beast. And um, so it is that cost benefit analysis of like, is the discomfort of fasting, does that outweigh the benefits you would get from lowering your inflammation? And I don't think that if you're using fasting while you have SIRS, it should be to lower inflammation. It should not be for weight loss. If you are trying to achieve weight loss and you still have SIRS, it's just you are spinning your wheels. Um, treat SIRS then focus on weight loss and you're going to have a much better, easier time. And you're actually going to lose weight. So uh, that one's really hard. Cost-benefit analysis, bio-individuality. Just flash that on the screen <laughs> regularly. Um, how concerned should we be in potential exposures in rivers? Uh, obviously, wouldn't swim when there's a known algae bloom, but should she worry about getting in rivers in general? I would say you should not worry about anything. Uh, the reason I say it that way is I think um, with SIRS, like one of the symptoms is you become more and more housebound because you don't feel well, you don't want to leave your environment. And then for a lot of people, it means they're staying more in their environment, which means they're staying more in exposure if their home is their exposure. But I think what you can say is be aware. So like you said, you wouldn't go if you knew, knew there was a known algae bloom. That is awareness, right? You just know you have a higher level of sensitivity than other people might. And so you're going to be more careful in the way that you approach situations. You are going to make yourself more informed. Would I worry about living my life and doing the things that I want to do? I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to make sure I'm making informed decisions about it. Yep. Um, do you know how common it is to have more than one SIRS haplotype? Uh, JC and I both have more than one. Um, and she's saying she has two, one for multiple susceptibility and one for low MSH. Is that rare? Uh, are people with multiples sicker or is there any difference in recovery? 
So it's actually more common to have multiple than only have one. I think I only know of a couple people that only have one haplotype. And the interesting thing about that is like, we probably don't know some of the haplotypes. Like there are probably some things that are biotoxins that we have not yet identified. For example, the Zika, Zika virus, like maybe that's a haplotype. We just don't, haven't studied it enough. Um, so it's more common to have multiple uh, haplotypes than to just have one. Um, in for It doesn't make you sicker. Um, I would say it informs your awareness. So if I know that I'm multi-susceptible, that means I'm going to be careful of algae blooms and I'm going to be careful of mold and I'm going to be careful of walking through tall grass. Like those are just things I'm going to be more aware of because I do have that multi-susceptible, which means I can be triggered by any biotoxin. Um, and then for the low MSH, that one is interesting. It's actually associated with more autoimmune conditions. Um, so it doesn't actually change your approach to the protocol. It doesn't change your treatment. It doesn't change the timeline. It doesn't even um, necessarily impact the intensity of your illness. Um, that might have more to do with the strength and length of exposure. Um, I think I answered that question. Yeah, beautifully. Well done. Um how do you deal with the social aspect of having SIRS? Chemical sensitivities and sensitivities to moldy places make it more difficult to enjoy social situations. I think the nice thing about, well, the thing to think about with SIRS is re-exposure is maybe the most detrimental when you are going through treatment. Well, also like before treatment, before you know that you have SIRS too. But once you go through treatment, you can think of that as fully emptying your toxin bucket. You know, we all have this limit of how many toxins we can handle. So when you go through treatment and you get fully healed, you are now like fully empty, let's say. So you could probably go to a party at someone's house and stay for a couple hours and enjoy yourself and maybe even eat things that are outside of carnivore or drink alcohol or do something that maybe is like that you can't do right now because you would feel like crap. You might, that, this is my own dream. Now I'm sharing my dream for like what I can do. Go to that situation, enjoy yourself, leave it, go back to your life of eating really well and taking good care of yourself and not doing that kind of thing every day and you'll be fine. Or You'll go, you know, you know what? I don't feel so great. I'm going to do a little like two week uh, bump on binders, you know, going to start the binders again and just make sure that I've cleared anything out of my system. That's like the dream for, for down the line. That's how I've heard uh, people who have gone through the protocol live their lives. They will still do the things that they want to do, but they will know that maybe they need to do the binders for a couple weeks or do the VIP spray. And that's just going to be the thing that you do now uh, when you enter those kinds of situations. The tricky part is doing it while you're still sick. Um, that that is something where you have to decide do you do you want to avoid those situations now for this this temporary amount of time while you are in treatment um and this is also something to talk to your practitioner about all practitioners are going to have really great advice on how to deal with those situations as they come up whether you're in treatment or afterwards um so i would look at all of those resources, certainly in the SERS group. We all talk about stuff like that all the time. That would be another place to get some advice and suggestions on what to do. Oh, you are muted. Sorry, Meat-Based Health, Corey in our group has a really good way of putting this that um, if you were a type one diabetic, you wouldn't leave your house without insulin. So it's just like leaving your house with that awareness. And for me personally, I see myself becoming known as like a great outdoorsman. Like people just know if they're going to invite me to things, it's going to have to be an outside activity. Um, but I do think that's like, I'm joking, but I'm also not joking. I think that's a really great lever you can use is like, if someone invites you to something, um, or if someone says like, Hey, do you want to hang out? Be like, yeah, I know this really cute coffee shop. It has a really cute outside patio that we can sit at. Or if it's during the winter, I know like I live in Colorado, so the winters here can get quite cold, but like you can go walk around the botanical gardens with like a hot cocoa, kind of like a situation like that. Like if you could just engineer things to be outside, that's personally how I plan on handling social situations moving forward. But that said, like there's life experiences I want to have. My work does an onsite once a year where we like travel out of the country and all get to meet each other and 
I'm still going to have those experiences, but it's just traveling with that awareness and knowing like, all right, I might want to take binders while I'm there. And I might want to take my VIP spray while I'm there. And I might want to take like a little portable air purifier while I'm there. Um, so I think it's, it's not that you can't live a normal life. You totally can. You just have to go a little extra prepared than maybe other people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone arrived late and they wonder what is VIP spray? That is vasoactive intestinal peptide. It is a natural hormone created by the body, um, but it is something that is low in people who have SIRS. So the last step of the protocol is that you supplement this VIP spray. And this one is really cool because it's what turns off a lot of the genes that were errantly turned on by the chronic inflammation. So it's it's really cool that people seem to have two different responses to VIP spray. There's people like me who are like, oh my gosh, this is like snorting the best stuff I've ever had in my entire life. And you just like, suddenly you can breathe and the air feels lighter. And then there's people who like, don't notice a benefit. But then if you were to ask their partner six months later, after they did the VIP, they'd be like, oh my gosh, they're a totally different person. I will also add, if you do the VIP spray and you don't feel anything, um, it's possible that just make sure that you've actually cleared Marcon's. (laughs) this is the lesson that I have learned. And so I will say it repeatedly often. Um, I got no benefit from my three months on VIP and then turns out my Marcons were still really crappy. So um, you definitely need to clear Marcons before you move on to the VIP spray. That is something if if your practitioner is following the Shoemaker protocol correctly, they will be testing for that before they move you on to VIP. So that's an important step. Uh, Natalie wants to know how expensive are binders and VIP spray. Well, call is about $60 a month with insurance. Without insurance, it's like $150. Compounded CSM or cholestyramine is $150 to $200 per month. And VIP spray can be like around $400 per month. The cool thing with SIRS, though, when we're talking about the expense, I think a lot of times when people think about like medical expenses, like those are things you have to do for the rest of your life. But with SIRS, it's like you just do the protocol. It's 12 to 18 months, and then you don't have to keep paying. And you're healed. You don't have to keep paying into this thing forever. And Jessica wants to know why VIP is the last step. Um, the protocol is set up so that you have the greatest impact over time. So you take the binders because that's going to be your biggest lever. And then you do the detox and gut healing because those are going to be your biggest levers. And so it's set up so that it's as efficient as possible. You're not wasting time or money. And so the VIP is the last step because you have to do everything before that, before you can get benefit from VIP. Yep. Um, how do you get rid of brain fog? And uh, how many months do you need to be on CSM and VIP spray? Um, Well, how do you get rid of brain fog? I mean, for us, I think the binders really did a great thing. Uh, And so I experienced, I mean, I didn't even know the brain fog that I had until it was gone. I will say that. Um, And I noticed the difference about six weeks into taking the binders. And I was able to pass the VCS test uh, within about two to three months. I can't remember exactly anymore. I should go look that up, but two to three months for me. Some people are on the binders much longer though. So that it, this is very bio-individual. Um, so that's, uh, and then in VIP spray, similarly, I think three months is probably the minimum that you that anyone would be on, but some people are gonna be on it for much longer, six months, maybe even a year. Yeah. Uh, I will say like, I felt great improvement in my brain fog with just the binders, but it wasn't until I started the VIP spray. And it was interesting because at first it was just like, I'd be walking up the stairs and I'd be, I would notice I would be like, I feel normal right now. <laughs> what is this? It's like, it, like you said, you don't even notice you have the brain fog until it's gone. And if you had asked me after I'd taken the binders, I would have told you my brain fog was gone. But then when I started the VIP spray, I was like, oh no, my brain fog is gone. Um, so it's really interesting how the protocol is set up and it really is giving you the biggest bang for your buck as you go through the protocol in order. And I think that's the coolest part of SIRS is like, it's so researched and it's so well-defined and these practitioners have done such a great job in having a really good understanding of exactly what people need to do to heal. All right. So, uh, we're getting up to the hour, Barbara, I know you told the group we were going to answer their questions. Um, (laughs) <laughs> oh, I did. And then I didn't look. I'm such a jerk. That was me being a jerk, guys. Nope, you're totally fine. I'm going to grab them right now. We're going to answer them real quick. The first one is any thoughts why some SIRS certified practitioners say to clear staff or erase to get Marcons to then clear 
mark on and some say not to do that. Any idea what Dr. Shoemaker says on that? Can't find it anywhere. Um, I think that the SERS practitioners are doing their best with the information they have from Shoemaker, but again, everyone is going to be very bio-individual. Um, I would follow the recommendations of your practitioner, and the big red flag there is they should make sure that you are clearing your mark-ons before they put you on VIP spray. If they don't do that, then I would maybe start looking at a different provider. That's the important part, right? It doesn't matter if you have staph aureus or not. It matters that you clear the mark-ons. Yep. Yes. Please test, get tested. You can buy the test yourself if your doctor's not suggesting it. Um, but yeah, definitely test. Um, and then Christian has a question and I just saw he joined. So, uh, in our experience, what kinds of strategies have we found to be the most helpful for minimizing biotoxin exposure and allow you to make progress? Have you found specific cleaning product combinations, cleaning routines and avoidance practices that work best for each of you? Yes. Do you have one? Uh, for me, one thing I really like is a peak flow meter. So this is a peak flow meter. It's used for asthmatics, um, but it checks your fl the flow rate of your breath. And so what you do is you do it when you're in a safe environment and you get a baseline. And then if you're in a new environment, you can do it again and see if you drop below your baseline because biotoxins have a direct impact on nerve function. It does impact your breath flow rate. Is this you know completely foolproof? No. Does it help me understand what environments I am in and if I should stay in those environments? Yes. Um, so personally, I really like this as just like a tool to avoid exposure when I can. Um, and then for me, for cleaning protocols, I've always been a little bit hippy dippy when it comes to cleaning products. I really like natural stuff. So I use a lot of vinegar, a lot of borax, a lot of baking soda. Um, those are like my core products. But that said, I know a lot of people really love the EC3 products that are available too. And then of course, I avoid bleach like the plague. I um definitely go a much more uh I don't want to say low maintenance. I I haven't I think I've been lucky in the fact that I moved into a relatively clean environment so I I haven't noticed my environment being that bad. I would say that my my trouble moments have been uh when I was traveling and I between December and February I went to California, Florida, actually yeah, even more months than that. Florida, New York, Austin. I went to a lot of different places. And when I tested my vision uh, the, with the VCS test, I failed. Um, and I had been off the binders. So I think that there's probably more that I should do is my way of answering this question um, than I have been. And I, I now I know a little bit more about the what happens to me when I travel. And I am the kind of person that has to like touch some touch the stove and go, oh, it's hot. I, I kind of need that. And so that's what I've experienced. I traveled and oh, look, I needed the binders again. Now I know, okay, maybe I'm going to time taking the binders. And I'm going to talk to my practitioner about this, but take the binders when I do travel and just have, just be on that full dose while I'm in the, uh, a potentially bad environment. And then maybe stay on that dose for a week or two after that to be sure. And maybe even test, do the VCS test in the process of all of that as well. That's how I'm going to be going forward on traveling. And I think traveling is my specific, um, thing that I will need to worry about more than necessarily my current environment. For my current environment, I I just clean maybe more often than the average person. Um, and and uh, a lot of everything that JC said is like the perfect way to do that. Uh, Carl said food grade hydrogen peroxide may be another cleaning solution. Food grade is supposed to be clear of preservatives, unlike over the counter. Interesting. Um, and then to wrap up, I'm going to finish with Sarah's very kind comment that says, this support is so helpful. Sarah's can be so overwhelming and you both make it much more approachable and less scary. Thank you for saying that. That's exactly why we're here. <laughs> yes. I think with SERS, it's really easy to get overwhelmed. I know when I first learned about it, I was like, oops, that feels like a lot of nope I don't want to deal with. And it feels so overwhelming and there's so much information and there's so much to navigate. But what I will say is that you just have to do the next best step. And when you look at the journey in that context, it makes it really consumable. And just to plug our group a little bit, but when you have support of people who have taken that path before, who are reaching back to help you up, I think it just changes the game. It changes the experience so much. Um, 
and you got this. You don't have to do this alone and you don't have to figure this out. It's all figured out for you. And all you need to do is ask and pursue and make the best choices you can at any given moment. Yep. Yeah. No, you perfectly summed up and this was really a lot of fun. Thank you all so much for being here and for submitting really great questions. Um, this replay will be up on our YouTube channel for all to enjoy and to hopefully learn from or get some support from. Uh, and then we'll hopefully see some of you or all of you in the SIRS group. You can go to the SIRSgroup.com to join us there if you aren't already. And we do have our podcast uh, going strong. Uh, every week, pretty much, we have a new episode out. Um, so be sure to go to the SIRS group on YouTube and subscribe and uh, comment there as well. Um, we're always looking for suggestions on topics to cover. So feel free to leave that in the comments of this recording when the replay is up on YouTube. Thank you guys so much for attending today. And we'll see you over in the group. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye.